Are you ready, Christine? I think I am. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Listen to the story. Listen to the story as November is Native American Heritage Month. <clears throat> we start in Idaho. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a little frog. We are doing smoke signals. A young man allows his nerdy friend to travel with, and he was nerdy, to travel with him to Arizona in order to settle the affairs of his recently deceased alcoholic father. Along the way, the truth about a childhood tragedy unites them. Particulars. I wouldn't say it was along the way. That was pretty no, far. No, it, it actually happened it. when they were in Arizona, but the particulars. We're doing smoke signals. It was released on July 3rd, 1998. Directed by Chris Iyer, who is an enrolled member of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes. This was his film debut. He also directed Skins, Hideaway, and Skinwalkers. And this is a fun nerd alert. According to Wikipedia and other articles, he is said to be working on a documentary about the 1997 theft of a foot from a colonial statue. There's this statue called Juan Dioneta. He was a Spanish conquistador, and he was known for his brutal campaigns against tribes on behalf of the government of Spain. In 1599, Juan saw, oversaw a massacre of the Pueblo of Acoma, that uh, over a thousand Pueblo were killed. And of those who survived, Juan ordered the right feet of all surviving men to be cut off. Why did this massacre happen other than <laughs> Spain going to Spain? Um, well, the massacre was started because the Spanish they had stopped there to trade and get supplies because the winter was coming. But the Acoma people were like, we don't have any more supplies to trade. These supplies are what we need to get through the winter ourselves. And the Spanish were not having that. And so the Pueblo people were like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who you think you're dealing with. And so they fought back and 11 Spaniards were killed, including Juan's nephew. And so... In result of those Spanish, those eleven Spaniards being killed, over a thousand Pueblo were killed, and then all of that. So anyway, his um, massacre was so brutal that even in that time, by the time it came back years later, because you know distances and whatnot at that time, it got back to the King of Spain, Philip the Third, and he was taken aback by wow. the brutality. So you know that's how bad it was. He was taken back by the cruelty to the native population, and the, the Spanish government convicted Juan of using excessive force against the Acoma people. So what did that mean? Well, like in today's times, when you're convicted of using force, it just means that you get to live out the rest of his life in Spain. So he didn't go to jail or anything. Um, but interestingly enough, in 1994, a 12-foot bronze monument to this Spanish man was erected in Alcalda, New Mexico. And, yeah. In, in 1994? In 1994. And when did this happen again? The, the massacre happened in 1599. 
what? <laughs> In 1994, they wanted to honor the Hispanic heritage, so they put oh, up okay, yeah. this Spanish conquistador who was in charge of murdering a whole bunch of people. Um, Sounds like a people... great thing to honor. Yeah, right. doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 1994. Well, so... mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean it's cast. Like, like really think about. There's the oh, but we're honoring the Hispanic, you know, population. But when you think of it, like. Here's the thing about living in the Southwest United States and the indigenous population is that a lot of people in America, because we're not taught this, we just think um, Spanish people are are like, we're just like, oh, brown people who speak Spanish, those are Spanish people. There are a lot of dumbass Americans who don't realize that the reason they speak Spanish is because they were colonized from Spain. Exactly. And you see that play out in colorism um, within like the places where Spain colonized and that Portugal colonized, Brazil speaks Portuguese because Portugal colonized Brazil. Right. And right. there are mass, there are large populations of native people, and then you see that play out in racism in the caste system because the darker skinned people are the people who originally are the indigenous people who were here, and then the lighter skinned. Um, you know, people from Spain and stuff came, and so then you'll see that in caste systems and stuff, and the way that it plays out within the Hispanic community. So it just seemed very interesting that it kind of felt like a disingenuous kind of. You know what it seemed like to me? If I'm going in real time to make the comparison, it kind of felt. A, it reminded me about the. Um, you know, like the Robert E. Lee statues and stuff, mm-hmm. and how it's like, oh no, we put up these statues in 1919 to to um, honor America, and how it was for America and the in the Civil War heroes. But really, the subtext under that is it's the, we're putting up people who were killing black people and wanted black people enslaved as a um, it's, it's kind of just being shady and like really the thing yeah. is, yeah, yeah put, keep yourself in place. So you have a Spanish conquistador and it's all these like people who, you know, I don't know how much of their blood comes from actually Spain. Like if you, you did their DNA testing, it's like, no, we came from Pueblo, like, you know, indigenous populations and stuff that because of the United States government and how it goes about, had to assimilate. And so cultures got lost, but genetically speaking, are indigenous people. So anyway, whatever reasons, you know, the whole bullshit, that statue gets put up in 1994. In 1997, the statue's right foot was cut off and a note was left that said, quote, fair is fair. I love that. Mm. So then Chris Iyer, the director of this film, Smoke Signals, he was eating dinner and he got handed a note that basically was like, because it was a mystery. Nobody ever knew who cut off the right foot. The person who made the statue like redid it and you know put the foot back on and stuff. But this note was passed to him and was like, hey, I know I'm one of the people who organized it, but you know, has to keep it was very clandestine and so he was said to be working on a documentary about that and the and the statue and how it's a symbolism of racism and stuff in new mexico and the southwest and all of that um and then in 2017 the left foot of the statue was painted red and they wrote remember 1680 and 1680 is the year of the pueblo revolt 
Mm. And so this statue, the latest update that I could find of this statue, I don't know where it is now, but as of June 15th, 2020, the statue was removed. So it was it was just um, interesting. I don't know if he ever like completed the documentary or was still working on mm. it or what happened, but it's very interesting because the, in the article that I read, they the guy... Um, I think he did an interview maybe with the New York Times, but they had to protect his identity. You know, he was a source and stuff. And so he's this mysterious figure. And he said what, that he took part of the foot and melted it down and gave it as, like, medallions to some of the tribe members and stuff. And, and then also he wanted to, like, walk the foot to, I think, like, to the Pueblo land. But he was he was pretty much, like... If you went around the neighborhood and the area and was like, hey, are you mad about this? Most people would be like, hell no, I'm not mad about this. This is awesome. Like, this guy, why do we have a statue of this guy? This motherfucker, you know, basically. So I just thought that that was interesting. And I can see the um, the white people going, hey, we're we're honoring a Hispanic person. How big of us to honor Someone with a different heritage than ours. You're honoring a white person who killed brown people. <laughs> like, that's what it is, though. Right. Because that, that's right. cast. Mm-hmm. So, oh, just spoiler alert, there's just cast sprinkled all about this. It's oh, my God, yeah. The screenplay is by Sherman Alexi, who wrote and directed the film The Business of Fancy Dancing. It's based on Sherman Alexie's 1993 short story collection, The Lone Ranger and Tonto, Fist Fight in Heaven. Sherman Alexie has written the novels Reservation Blues, Indian Killer, and The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian. Nerd Alert, in 2012, Arizona's HB 2281 removed Alexie's works from the Arizona school curriculum because... They um, they had to ban any courses or classes that would, one, promote the overthrow of the federal or state government or the Constitution. Oh, my God. This is in 2012. Two, promotes resentment toward any race or class, in parentheses, racism and classism. Three, advocates ethnic solidarity instead of being individuals, which is really wild coming from the United States states where then you're you know we have to all go behind the flag um and four are designed for a certain ethnicity so alexi's response was that he was like you know tongue-in-cheek basically saying he was pleased to be banned along with other mexican authors because mexican immigration is an oxymoron and at this point i parenthetically add I remember when I kind of first moved here one time and there were, I saw a billboard that really made me stop and think. And I was like, huh, that's true. The border crossed them. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so I, like, I remember seeing that border, like the border crossed us. And I was like, oh yeah. Huh. Um, he said, quote, I'm also strangely pleased that the folks of Arizona have officially announced their fear of an educated underclass. You give those brown kids some books about brown folks, and what happens? Those brown kids change the world. In the effort to vanish our banish in the effort to vanish our books, Arizona has actually given them enormous power. Arizona has made 
our books sacred documents now. So, and then a little bit update of Sherman Alexi in 2018, he got caught up in the whole sexual harassment thing. So, oh. yeah, he he treated some women not very well. Um, I didn't go into all of his misdeeds. Oh. It, it was just like, oh, he got caught up and that's that. So, interesting. Moving on <laughs> is edited by Brian Bearden, who did Blue Velvet, Natural Born Killers, and Gross Point Blank, to name a few. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did some big-time movies. The music is by B.C. Smith, who also did The Mod Squad, Skins, and Beer League. And the director of photography is Brian Kapner, who also did The Ice Runner, My Stepson, My Lover, and Dropping oh, Out. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, he did a really good job with the... the um... Uh, photography directing photography <laughs> okay uh, i mean th- it was beautiful the um mm-hmm. okay starring adam beach as victor joseph he was in wind talkers joe dirt bury my knee bury my heart at wounded knee um and he's been in so many things so like, much, that, yeah. that guy just stays working here's a sad nerd alert in real life when he was eight years old, his pregnant mother was killed by a drunk driver. Oh, wow. And his father drowned eight weeks later. Damn. Oh, no. Yeah. So his parental uncle raised him and his two brothers. Wow. So, like, so that scene, like, at the end, it's, you know, spoiler, mm-hmm. like, that was, that was, um went into the, crossed into the line of, like, real emotional catharsis right um the young victor joseph is played by cody lightning who was in the brave manic and the upcoming disney plus miniseries echo oh nice Mm -hmm. he was good evan adams played thomas builds the fire he was in the business of fancy dancing lenny the wonder dog and he also appeared in an episode of reservation dogs He's been in tons of Canadian TV. Nerd alert, in real life, he's went on to become a medical doctor. Yes! He's a legit medical doctor. In in 2014, he was the chief medical officer of the First Nations Health Authority in British Columbia. Hmm? Because up there in Idaho, those of you who don't know geography, it's right next to Canada. Well, he's a lot of these. Thank you for those of us who don't know geography. But uh, I'm always here to teach. (laughs) A a lot of Adam Beach and Evan Adams, they're Canadian. I mean, they're indigenous people from Canada. Basically, from the border. (laughs) I can tell. Right, right, right. Um, The young Thomas Builds the Fire is played by Simon Baker who was in Strange Empire, Murdoch Mysteries, and Hey, Victor. Irene Bedard played Susie Song. She was in The New World, Songs My Brother Taught Me, How to Blow Up a Pipeline most recently. I was like, mm. there were a couple actresses in here where I was like, I just saw you in something. That was one of them. And she was also the speaking voice of Pocahontas in Disney's Pocahontas. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I actually... Um... Teeny's TikTok corner. Here we are. Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, I saw a video. I didn't, I don't know how it started, but it was this woman <laughs> singing uh, Colors of the Wind. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to the mute, the lyrics, it's like, and then at the comment was like, uh, Disney literally trained all of the young kids to be like <laughs> activists. So like they used, you know, that's a, like, that was a good song. And then I don't know. Well, then I saw another TikTok about what, what the heck happened to Disney too. Cause then it was like a side-by-side -side of Moana or uh, one of those things. And then some of the stuff they're putting out this these days is just right. not it. Um, but that that's it. That's the second time that that movie has come up this week for me. Oh, interesting. We have Gary Farmer as Arnold Joseph. He was in Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Adaptation. And most recently, he's been Uncle Brownie in the television show Reservation Dogs. Tantu Cardinal as Arlene Joseph. She was in Dances with Wolves, Legends of the Fall. And most recently, I, she's one of those, like, I just saw, where did I just see her? Because she's in Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Elaine Miles is Lucy. She was the one that was driving the car backwards. <laughs> she, um, she played Marilyn Whirlwind in 110 episodes of Northern Exposure. That's how yes. I was like, Northern Exposure. Yes. She was also in the business of fancy dancing. And most recently, she was in The Last of Us. Okay. And then furthermore, we have Cynthia, Cynthia Geary. I was like, on the woman on the bus, the gymnast? I'm like, she was in Northern Exposure. She was Shelly Marie Tambo in Northern Exposure. Oh, wow. I wonder if Northern... I remember I, I really liked Northern Exposure. Uh, also... if we go back and look at it, probably problematic yeah. stuff. But speaking of that, I really like Northern Exposure, and I really like the show called Picket Fences. And we got Tom Skerritt, sure did. the police chief. Dude, that man, still with us, has been in so many things. Jeez. Yeah. Um, he was in Alien, Top Gun, Alfred Hitchcock, Hour, Run for Doom, and the, the show Picket Fences. So many things. As and well as many others, yeah. So many. And those are the particulars. Excellent. So, I'm going to set the table with how the film actually starts. Uh, the film begins with a voiceover saying, quotation marks, on the 4th of July, my mother and my father celebrated white people's independence. <laughs> but, and I thought that was funny because that has been brought up in our family <laughs> the last several fourth of July, white people's independence by holding the largest house party in Court Elaine tribal history. I mean, every Indian in the world was there. And then at three in the morning, after everyone had passed out or fallen asleep on couches, on chairs, on beds, on the floor, a fire rose up like General George Armstrong Custer and swallowed up my mother and father I don't remember that fire. I only have the stories. And in every one of those stories, I could fly. And we, and quotation marks, we see a baby being thrown from the second floor of a burning house. The narrator is Thomas, who goes on to live with his grandfather. And then- uh, his, Victor, his grandmother. 
grandmother. I'm sorry. I have oh. grandmother written and I said grandfather. Hmm. Victor is a baby in his mother's arms. So Victor and Thomas are about the same age. What else could possibly go wrong? Can I just say, like, so when I heard the tribe name Cordelaine, I was like, wait, that's, that Cordelaine. sounds French. Right. And it's, it's from, it's part of the all, A L W. And then their name, it came from a French trapper in the late 18th century. The name that they really have is Shipuaishu. And that's, that's the name for their people in their like ancient language. And that means those who were found here or quote, the discovered people. Oh, wow. I just thought it was really interesting because I'm here like, where did you get the tribe name Coeur d'Alene? Like, that's yeah. French. And then I was, um, I looked it up and then I, I, I came to it where it was like, like they go by Coeur d'Alene, like that's all this stuff. But right. I, it's also, it's S-C-H-I-T-S-U apostrophe U-M-S-H. So I listened Ooh. to like a pronunciation and the way it I, the way I heard it was Shipuaishu. So mm -hmm. my the, I had to like write it out phonetically to myself because I, I was like I wanted to say what it was because it seems kind of messed up in the I whole agree. Thing that, and yet that's how they identified themselves. Yeah, I, but that's I mean that just just like put that in the in the little mm -hmm. pouch of, that we're making of like well the fuckery continues exactly and always was i mean yeah because i mean it goes back to the, the whole thing that calling themselves indians when that came from columbus exactly like, exactly you're indian. making a mistake it's all a yeah. mistake the whole thing's a mistake okay so poc at first i put a hundred percent Native American Indian, but that not every no, there were other there people, were like there were other people 85, on, 90. Right. On the bus and other people in Arizona and okay. Well, I counted three black people. There were two men and a little girl at the Phoenix bus station. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was, um, that was just my count. <laughs> it yeah. And so, uh, yeah, but again, people of color, the, uh, all of the American, Native American Indian people, the indigenous people are people of color as well. Used mm -hmm. to be called red. I, ooh, ooh. Why? Why did red? The, well, I don't know. Like, That's why, can... like, we're also called people yellow. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, which is very the red thing is very funny to me because not funny, funny, haha, ha, but funny, sad. Or because white people are the only people who turn red. Like I literally turn red. <laughs> well, I, literally I, remember, I, I had a co-worker and I was outside and she was like, oh, you red bone. And I was like, oh, yeah, because I'll I'll turn red be like if I'm out in the sun and then it all. Oh, yeah. I guess oh. everybody has the capability, but I'm just like when white people get sunburned, that shit. That's red. That's, oh, that's a red, red like a lobster. Mm -hmm. yeah. You'll go from red from white to red, no in between. <laughs> <laughs> and, then and then you know what? It doesn't turn to tan, okay? 
It turns a little darker white. Turns <laughs> back into Casper white. Or Ma's like, it's olive. It's it's I I never speaking, I never understood that. Olive skin. I was like, but they don't look anything like olives. Because I'm thinking green. There's a bunch of different shades of olive. But then I realized that it was where the olives are grown, the yeah. sun, and that people were darker skinned because of the tan of the sun of where the olives were. So and that's yet I why. don't come from those people. <laughs> well, okay. I did, I asked my friend whose mother is Blackfoot what her mother chooses to be called American Indian, Native American. And she said, you know, it just, <laughs> I won't say what she actually said. Um, but she said, it depends on who you're talking to. And you say, like, yeah, with like black people. Exactly. You ask them, what, do you, what do you prefer to be called? And then you respect that and, and do that. And how it like just changes over black people were colored. But there's definitely one that you just don't say. You don't say. And you're not yeah, allowed to say, say it. And you just have to live with it. <laughs> right. And you know what? Um, the people of that particular color may choose to use that term uh, speaking about themselves, but you don't repeat it because you're not one of that and you don't repeat it. And you know who taught that lesson very well? Scrubs. The very first scene. Hmm. You know? Really? Because <laughs> Donald Faison and what's the guy's name? Zach Braff. The very, like, the very first scene of the first episode they're sitting in like they're they're uh whatever you're they're learning to be doctors um and they're like sitting in like class or whatever and i don't know some song is on and zach braff is their besties if you don't watch the show and he's like can i say it? like if it's in a song like can i say it and and he just looks at him and was like no and like no. that's how the whole season <laughs> series yeah. starts you know yes yeah, just don't. Like, no, just don't. You just don't. So it was. So she it. said, "Whatever." It depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Between mm -hmm. what terms? It's all of them. Any of them. Okay. Indigenous, Native American, American Indian, okay. First whatever. Nation. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. They were here first. <laughs> So we're to cast. Well, this whole freaking movie is cast. Is there How could you pick one thing? I'm sure Aaron did, but. I picked two. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Settle it. Well, actually, I had three because at first I, I had the shoehorn in the whole statue of Will Wan because I was yeah, like, oh, that's go. good. So, but yeah. that was originally in cast. And then when I was looking at that statue, I came across the term blood quantum. And so I'm like, hmm, what is that? Blood quantum. Blood Quantum and its role in Native Identity by Kylie Rice. At, this was on the website of the indigenousfoundation.org. And in her article, she explains that Blood Quantum is a strategy used by the government and tribes to authenticate the amount of Native blood a person has. That sounds like some Nazi Ooh. shit right there. Well, where did the Nazis get a lot of it their Nazi the shit from? Exactly. I mean, yeah. So it's measured in fractions and it affects a person's tribal 
identity and the ability to become a federal member. Because remember when I mentioned in the particulars about Chris Iyer and how he's an enrolled member, it's, it's a whole mm-hmm. process and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting because unlike any other ethnic group, Native Americans have to continuously prove their identity. To be federally considered Native, you must be enrolled and carry a certificate of degree of Indian blood issued by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Did either of you ever have to enroll to be white? I never had to enroll to be black. Do you want to know a funny story? Yes. One time. I was enrolled to be white. (laughs) I want to hear how she was enrolled to be white. I have to remember how this story went. I think it, it was something about, keep going. Remind okay. me. Okay. 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 We'll come back to you. Ruminate on it. So um, basically this was put into place because it was to limit native citizenship during the allotment period, which was between 1887 and 1934. Uh-huh. And so reservation-bound male heads of household received allotments using the one-quarter American Indian blood quantum. Okay. So by using that, uh, uh, remember, like, you know, when people came to, when people, heavy air quotes, discovered America in 1492 to 1887, um, at this point of the allotment time, you know, American stuff, they're like, well, we have to figure out what we're going to do with the native population and stuff. So that's when they started like, okay, you're going to go to these areas of land and stuff, and you're going to be given this amount of land, but you're only be going to be given land if you have a quarter of the American right. Indian right. blood. Right. So by doing that, the, then many became ineligible and therefore it reduced the amount of Indians exactly. holding land. So then the, quote, surplus of land that was supposed to be given to the Indians, but we don't have enough of them because there's not enough that um, blood-wise make up to be given the land, that was then opened up to homesteaders and corporations to purchase. So of the 138 million acres that were originally Mm. designated as Indian territory to be divided up, 90 million acres were lost because they were like, that's the surplus. We don't have that. And therefore, thousands of American Indians were displaced from that land because it went to homesteaders and corporations and stuff. So the policy in its essence is genocidal and eventually will lead to indigenous people being defined out of existence. And that was always the plan. That's why it came to be in effect. Because if you look at it within, like, you can just look at it within our family and just of how how that happens and stuff. And, like, um, with your friend, her mother is, you know, Blackfoot, and then her, and then she has her kids, and her kids don't appear to be anything other than... No, and her mother wasn't pure bullet purebred Blackfoot. Right. So that's why they had like the blood quant because she, right. I don't know what hurt, but it. that's why they have it because it's like, all right, well, what is your fraction? And then even though she's like, no, I'm Blackfoot, it's like, no, you're not. 
not according to the federal government. Mm. And and she presents with absolutely no um, um, indigenous blood at all. She's she's very pale and blonde and blue eyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one quarter black, but it's inevitable that in it's inevitable that enrollment numbers will decline and communities will no longer be viable as sovereign nations. Of course. Also, though, the the issue with that is that um, medically speaking, that introduces problems as well, because since being considered um, in indigenous Native American is such a strenuous process that many Native Americans don't have the ability to. And also, some don't feel like native enough to identify because of of right. you know living the american uh, like basically assimilation you know like and there was a, i was reading an article with lily gladstone who is the actress that's in killer of the flower moon and she was doing these like theater camps with kids and stuff and she would say something like um words and then they would have to strike a pose of what that word meant to them Mm-hmm. And then it would be like a statue garden. It was real theater, campy stuff, you know. Um, but the word was assimilation. And so kids would get like, it was, she was like, it was heartbreaking because kids would they'd be like assimilation and they would get in the fetal position oh or they would like cover their mouths or yeah. because to them, assimilation was always giving up a part of your identity to yeah. fit in. Yeah. And then the the teacher who was like a white guy he struck the pose of just this giant bear hug because to him, the assimilation was like accepting everyone in and everyone comes in. But to him, assimilation isn't giving up anything. It's accepting people in. But to the indigenous population, assimilation means giving up a piece of yourself. Um, But then, so then there's that. So then they feel like, well, am I even Native enough to be considered Native American? But that poses um, genetic medical problems because um, genetically not identifying as Native can lead to improper health care because that population has three times the rate of type 2 diabetes-related deaths and are 6.5 times the rate of alcohol-related deaths yeah. compared to whites. So it's... It's kind of like um, when it comes with breast cancer, um, people who are genetically as, as, as I mess up how to say it, as Genotsky Jewish, like, like there's like that genetic, um, that's why they like the BRCA gene and stuff, because they have a significantly higher chance of getting, developing breast cancer, like mm-hmm. um, black people with elevated cholesterol and high blood pressure you know like it's sad because probably the thing that we'll get to this later coming up in the next article of part of cast part two of cast but the those same genetic traits that probably allowed them to survive um a crazy thing that you're gonna find out next is also probably something that contributes to such a high rate of type two diabetes and that kind of thing. And if you're not on a, if you're on a form just putting white, you're taking right. away a piece of a puzzle that then if you have slightly high glucose, where it's like, oh, you know, you're like you're fine, just diet and exercise. But if you check out the native box and you have that, right. then a doctor who's it's not working- giving the doctor the full part of the story, right? right? Right. Exactly. They don't smell the doctor that they smoke or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. So well, that... oh sorry. No, go go. 
I was just going to say, before I move on to the next thing of having to, what did you say? Uh, sign up as being register as mm -hmm. being white. Enroll. Yeah. Enroll. Your enrollment. I, I don't truly remember everything that happened, but my one cousin, at one point she was having to answer, like fill out paperwork or something for school as a child. Not like, I mean, I don't know why she was doing her own paperwork, but something was coming up, but she was a kid and she was having trouble. And I think she was like, she was like, oh, I like my, the option's not here. And it was because she didn't know what Caucasian meant. So she was like, there's <laughs> no, there's no option for being white. <laughs> Oh man, remember like, so, I mean, I had like, when I was first given that thing, I was like, hey ma, what, what do I mm -hmm. put and stuff? And I was like, you're black. <laughs> this is the way that the, you're going to be treated. So that's the way you put that. And I'm like, cool. I like that. Um, but after that, like I always knew what I was and all of that. And, um, but like to fuck with people every opportunity yep. I got I would like yeah. raise my hand and be like I don't know what box to put yep <laughs> just just to mess with now just. it was only teachers that you didn't have respect for that you would oh, do yeah. that to yeah. and be like yeah, okay I'm gonna have a little bit of fun right now just to see the look Excuse in their me? eyes of like I don't know what oh, to do <laughs> I feel like it changed that. I feel like it's not. Now it says white. It well, does they have white, white, and then they have also though they have white non-Hispanic. Well, religion. yeah, that's the option. It's yeah, like that's really important. The non-Hispanic situation. I I deal with that every time I have to do a form for medical. Yeah, they have a, a bunch of those, and some of them have like um like uh biracial and stuff. But I'm just like at this point in my life, I'm black. That's that's what it is. Right. We're going with well, that. Well, at that it was. <laughs> what is your father? It it was back in the day. What is your father? It always is. What is your father? Do we have any more cast? Yes, we do. Yes, I'm sure we do. <laughs> well, this blew my mind. Oh my God. Okay. So there's a 2019 CNN article by Lauren Kent called uh, "Quote European Colonizers." killed so many native americans it changed the global climate researchers say wow. i mean i believe it because they knew how to do so many so much for the environment and the exactly. land exactly exactly right am i wrong it, it's kind of going with that so they said that european settlers killed 56 million indigenous people over about a hundred years in south million 56 million over 100 years in South, Central, and North America. Well, part of it is disease. That was a big, that was actually like the biggest chunk of it. Yeah. So. They brought all the diseases. They mm -hmm. killed so many people that large swaths of farmland were just abandoned and reforested. And the increase in trees and vegetation massively decreased the carbon dioxide in the air. Yeah, which is a good thing, but... No, but you're thinking of it in 2020, 2023 terms. We're oh. talking about oh, in the 16th, like, you know, for, from 1492, like, like that time period. And I know okay. you weren't actually alive then. <laughs> you, Thank you, Christine. You 
They it. killed so many people that the earth got colder by 1610. It's the first major change seen in the earth's greenhouse gases. It's actually a thing. It's called the Little Ice Age, and it happened in the early 14th century. Between the 14th century and the mid-19th century, it was a period of regional cooling, um, particularly in the North Atlantic region. It wasn't a true ice age because it wasn't a global thing. It was like they it's on it's on fact. Like the science and the numbers support it that in this region. So when Columbus came over in 1492, he put he enslaved a bunch of people, he killed a bunch of people, but that wasn't what wiped out. Like pretty much 90% of the indigenous population got wiped out. Damn. 56 million people just That's wiped crazy. out from disease because they had never been with these it's diseases. So, so right. then when we're talking about things like in the 1700s, the 1800s, you know, when it goes into the American, the West and stuff, and they're coming across the indigenous people then, 90% of those people have been gone. And it had been so many hundreds of years that the all the farmlands in the community uh you know that that they had been there they were just completely wiped out and devastated so it seemed like nobody had been here or there was very few people that's because 90 percent of the population was gone it was reforested and that was something that i had never realized that i always thought it was just these little pockets and mm-hmm. it was like such a vast land and they knew how to cultivate and yeah, some of them got killed, but I didn't realize just how disease just came and just whoosh, just wiped out. It wiped out more people than the black death. Oh my yeah. God. I mean, like, the, I didn't know so that. The UCL geography professor, Mark Maslin, he was the study's co-author. He said, quote, for once we've been able to balance all the boxes and realize that the only way the little ice age was so intense is because the genocide of a million people, of millions of people. Like so many people, like we just, it just completely changed everything. That's kind of exactly like the quote um, when Thomas and Victor are getting picked up by those two girls, Velma and Lucy. And Velma was like, you guys got your passports? And Thomas was like, passports? And she was like, yeah, you're leaving the Reds and going into a whole different country, cousin. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. said, but it's the United States. And she said, damn right it is. That's as foreign as it gets. Hope you two have your vaccinations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it was just It was just wild to me to think about just and because it was an oral tradition like 90 percent got wiped out so of course we don't know the history of people and the and the civilizations and all of the farmland and all of the like it's very easy then for the europeans to come over and be like ha these savages and the, you know but what did we what 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 was here before 90% got wiped out. 56 million people. So much, so many people died that the earth reclaimed itself and it w- caused a mini ice age. A little mm, ice age. Yeah, that's crazy. 
crazy. Like it wow. caused it caused climate change. I would just wow. Yeah. Well, that's just mind boggling. It is because we like to go from 1492 and then to the 1800s and and all right. of that, and not right. realizing that that's what 300, 400 years. Right. Like it's a big chunk of change. That yeah, you wipe out all those people, they die, and then the farmland, everything gets reforested. So then when people come upon it, they think that it's this was the way that God had made it. Meant for me. <laughs> and then it is mine. It is meant for me and it is mine. I claim it, I put a flag on it. Exactly. You don't have a flag. Oh wow, that's heavy. Okay, we are to nerd alerts. <laughs> And guess who's going to speak on that for us? <laughs> Y'all don't have any nerd alerts? I had a minor one about, well, I didn't, I wish I had dug deeper into it, but um, I asked, like, because well, part of Tom, Thomas, yeah. I kept confusing the two. Who was Thomas? Oh, I didn't, because I couldn't forget the way Thomas said Victor's name. Um, mm-hmm. But you could tell they were putting something, you know, he was telling all these stories. Like that was his whole thing. Is like, you want to, and one of the things when he was going, when the girls were picking them up in the car, they were like, oh, we're Indians. We're going to barter. And he was like, well, I'll trade you a story. So um, this is from the National Museum of the American Indian, the Smithsonian. And they have a thing about celebrating native cultures through words, storytelling, and oral traditions. And it's just talking about the indigenous people having strong storytelling traditions. Um, history, stories, and religious rights were and are passed down from the memories of one generation to the next through spoken word. Um, the worldview of native people is intricately woven into the fabric of language and ways of speaking. The oral tradition connects the past, present, and future and tightens tribal and family and familial bonds. They can provide moral lessons for children, how to behave. They communicate creation stories, cultural beliefs, and personal or family or tribal history. Um, creation stories are often sacred and only told through the oral tradition. Um, oral traditions are a form of shared history in specific Native communities and are a source of historical knowledge. American Indians employed a variety of methods to record and preserve their histories. Um, Native Americans of the Northern Great Plains region recorded their histories through pictographic paintings on bison hides called winter counts. Winter counts were preserved by keepers who painted the images and served as storytellers. And they're one example of how indigenous knowledge is sustained and shared. Um, But storytelling is an integral part of traditional Native education system. Stories develop listening skills, memory, and imagination, and they support social and emotional learning to develop the whole child. Uh, but then it goes on to talk about how language loss was part of a part of the systemic destruction or assimilation of native peoples. Some languages have vanished completely while many others are weakened. Elders believe that if the language is lost, the people will be too. Teachers, elders, and linguists have been working to capture native speech in written form through online classes and in language school um, as ways to pass on the languages and cultures to the younger generation. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting and because you could tell that they were trying to make a point of like how important the storytelling exactly. was to them. 
Exactly. Much like the griots in African culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now it's just part of what just was such a kick in the gut about the just the ninety percent of the population yeah. gone. How many like it's all oral. Are gone. Yeah. yeah. Of just exactly. it's just all poof gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the top films in nineteen ninety eight were number five, A Bug's Life. Mm. <laughs> I agree with that. A Bug's Life was a great film. It was, I agree. Wait, 1998, this, okay, well, okay, number four, was there something about Mary? Yeah, Which number four, I don't know about that, but okay. Man, I wonder how that holds up, because I remember at the time, that was hilarious. I know, it's one of those that probably held up not great. Number three was Godzilla. I think that was the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Uh, With Jack Black, right? No, I don't think in 98, but maybe. There's just been so many. Okay. Um, Number two is Saving Private Ryan. Oh, I know what number one was. Oh, you had a huge issue with this. The, we're not talking Oscars. We're talking okay. about okay. the okay. box office okay. worldwide. Okay. The number okay. one film box office worldwide was Armageddon. Oh. Wow. 1998 had not one, but two big budget movies where uh, something was from space was coming to destroy the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> so just uh, real chill times. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, you're talking with the Oscars. So yes. the Best Picture nominees were The Thin Red Line, Saving okay. Private Ryan, mm-hmm. Life is Beautiful. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I do. Wow. Okay. Talk about genocide. Okay. Elizabeth. Remember mm-hmm. that? That was when Kate Blanchett, like. Yeah. She slayed as Elizabeth I. <laughs> she did. Indeed. You know, she I was slayed. watching. The, I was watching. She slayed. Yeah. I get Elizabeth the first and Victoria confused. And well, it, yeah. it, it's real different time frames. Yeah, it is. Um, but the best picture winner was a, a Merrimack film that yeah. I, I haven't seen. Maybe it's, you know, what? maybe, maybe they got it right, but it was Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Was the winner. Best picture. You were irate. <laughs> really? Irate. Uh, uh, you didn't see it. I did see Shakespeare in Love. Oh, yeah. I thought you said he hadn't. I, I haven't since I saw it. Since original, since mm-hmm. 1998. When you graduated from high school. Well, that's in my... So, the nerd alerts. What was the world like in July 1998? Like, what, what had happened in 1998 up until July? Well, in January, the Drudge Report breaks the story about President Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky that oh, leads wow. to the House mm. of Representatives impeaching him. Like, that is impeachable, but what... Okay, moving on, please. Oh man, 1998, the Kosovo Kosovo War kicks off mm-hmm. with a massacre in Likoshane. Oh, the Kosovo War was basically ethnic Albanians versus ethnic Serbs. Um, a study came out in 1998 that is now shown to be riddled with data manipulation, and it was published. This study alleged a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. Oh, wow. That was 1998. The study was fully retracted in 2010, 
quote. But the parents don't know that. The parents don't know that for they sure. Still, they still are in that. Quote, perhaps the most damaging medical hoax of the 20th century. What vaccine? The MMR. Measles, mumps, rubella. Thank you. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I never heard I never had any of those because I got the vaccine. So I wouldn't yeah, know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I don't know. It it did we just talk about something in the beginning of this podcast about I don't know, 90% of a population being wiped out because they had not been exposed to these kinds of the diseases. But yet oh. in the 1998 when this movie comes out, it's oh, it causes autism. Yeah. Meanwhile, you are on land that was available because 90% of its population got wiped out. Yeah. But hey, vaccines. Let's roll the dice. Vegas. Viva Vegas, baby. Um and then keeping the fun times rolling in 1998, there was a massacre in Algeria where 52 people were killed with axes and knives. Of those 52 people, 32 of those were babies under the age of 2. In 1998, this was part of the Algerian Civil War, which was basically the government versus Islamic Islamist insurgents that was fueled by high-level societal fragmentation in Algeria. And I'm just going to parenthetically add my own personal opinion. I think maybe France probably contributed to a bit of that, just going because we did that movie well, cachet and colonizer and all of that and then i discovered that there's a separate wikipedia page called list of algerian massacres of the 90s oh my so God. there's that a list exists. there's a whole and it's not like oh you bring it up and it's just you don't have to scroll you gotta scroll through it oh my God. Lots of scrolling. you gotta scroll um, so I was like, wow, that's depressing. Um, and then I look because I'm like, man, you know, I know that we got lots of wars going on in Europe and the Middle East, but I was like, I keep hearing like, like stuff about Africa. So I was like, Hey, what's going on in Africa? And, um, well, so there's still infighting and insurgency going on in Algeria. Uh, there are currently over 20 countries in Africa fighting either terrorist insurgencies or just all-out civil war. And in the case of South Sudan, just straight-up ethnic violence going on. And wow. women are being brutally raped and killed, and it is horrific. If you Google and go online and look at the maps of wars that are happening right now in the world um just africa is just lit up and it's nuts and a mess the violence in africa is displacing over 40 million people in the world hmm. and thanks white supremacy because you know i mean we want to fight climate change and we want cars and stuff and electric cars and you know I mean, it all really goes back to Africa because cobalt is really big in what we need and they mine cobalt in Africa. And so it's real easy. And I feel like that's why it's not really getting reported because it's just, oh, Africans being Africans. Look at, they're killing uh -huh. each other. But I really think that it goes back to white supremacy and 
people being used and stuff and really not caring what happens and what goes on there because we hear about what's happening in Palestine and Israel. We hear about what's happening in the Ukraine, but it's real tight lips when it comes to all the craziness that's happening mm-hmm. and the violence that's happening in Africa. And at this point in my research, I really lost interest to look at what else happened in 1998. I was just like, you know what? Also, I graduated from high school in 1998 because I was just dismayed and disheartened and depressed and disgusted by just the violence that I mean there's a whole list in just Algerian massacres in 1990 and you have to scroll through and then you find out Mm. oh it's still just going on Mm. and you're just like oh wow okay (laughs) nice all right well, we are two negative reheatables continuing in that <laughs> negative thing. Because, you know, why not? Um, so I love the car that only went in reverse. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you... Like, that reminds me of something that would have happened in college where you don't don't have the money to fix your car. So, you know, if you're going to use it, it, but it's actually illegal to drive a car in reverse because... You can't see in, a, in the white man's America. Well, there you go. <laughs> not maybe not in the reservation. And then um, Adam Beach's wig after he cuts his hair, it was that was just it was just it wasn't okay. We could have done better. We could have done better. Um, Those were my negatives. I don't know. I thought it was pretty realistic because I have cutting your own hair as a negative. <gasps> oh, yeah. I should. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you can do it, you can do it, but I'm having a particularly awful, I'm having a particularly Gene Simmons day today. And um, I was going to say, I cut my hair and then I looked at myself on Skype and was like, oh my God. It also has to do with texture because you have a texture that is such that it hides some imperfections. Highly forgivable. But (laughs) as someone who also has pretty straight hair um as did victor exactly um you can't hide a lot of that shit if there's one thing that's one cut that's off you're gonna see it it looks like crap and he was cutting his hair with a with a bowie knife is it still called a bowie knife like a hunting knife so that's not handheld knife right my only other negative is long bus trips I like taking the bus locally, but long bus trips, no thank you. Oh, God. Like, I mean, you know, point A to point B, and they're cheap, those like $20 mega buses or whatever, but I'm sure they're more than $20 these days. Yeah, that's a a young people's game. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and for people who can't afford it, but long bus trips are very, it's, yeah. It's a trial. I mean, my Fair grandma right. used to, she used to, like, bus a, a lot. Greyhound. Oh, old people love taking bus yeah. trips. Yeah. Um, my negative reheatables just right off the bat when it went to the, the Merrimack sign. I'm like, ooh, that has aged I did, terribly. too. <laughs> I went, oh, shit. This, this motherfucker. Yeah. Okay. That, and it's sad, too, because there's so, because I was, this is also 1998, the golden age of American independent cinema. It was right. when, like, you could Shakespeare just. Shakespeare in Love was Miramax. 
Yes, but also just the idea of I remember Evan had a book called um oh what was it? He like always had it with him. It was like feature films on used car prices. So it was the oh. big in nineteen ninety eight was was maxing out credit cards to make your film and then right. you get it into Sundance and right. start your career and stuff. And I was always like, That's a lot of debt though. So <laughs> that explains why I'm where I am. <laughs> That's my girl. Yeah. Um, man, speaking of buses, how about we add to this white people on buses? <laughs> Just the caucasity when they came, they went off the bus and they came back and they're like, those oh, are my yes, seats. Of course. And the white guy had his hat that said, oh, yeah. my, my gun cleaning hat. My right. gun cleaning hat. Yeah. They, what did they have to do? They had to walk to the back it's of the exact, bus. Exactly what would have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just well, buses, I mean, man. I kind of did that in Germany, if you think about on the train. I don't speak German, and I'm yeah. sitting in this seat. And, okay, tell me I'm in the wrong seat, but I'm yeah. sitting here. But you did it. You had it. You sprinkled in the American caucasity. You like sprinkled in a, a tad of American where it was. Just I didn't on say the, we won the war. Yeah, but it was implied in your indignantness. <laughs> it was very much implied. Like you're going to tell me, <laughs> an American citizen, <laughs> the spouse of a United States officer. But you don't. But you didn't say that at the time because you I had. I didn't say any of yeah, that. Yeah, you, you couldn't. You I couldn't. just said Nick Nine Sprechenzi Deutsch. Yeah, you Move were on. just. You, Move you on. Were, I am going to sit here, and then and then the look upon your face when you realized that you were wrong, and you were like, "Oh wow, that really could have gone sideways," but it didn't. Why, ma? Because I'm white. Exactly. Work. Hey. Sometimes you, you you gotta take you gotta take what they give you. <laughs> you gotta use what you got. Um, Mo, I'm surprised you did not mention this, Ma. Fireworks. Did I ever tell you the story? <laughs> <laughs> I think like wait, start telling it and then let Teeny cut you off when she's like, oh no, I've heard that. So when I was teaching in Loveland, Ohio, there was a fireworks deck. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You on? It's it's fine. It's fine. No, I haven't heard it. I was just kidding. Okay, there was a fireworks factory, and there were some sixth grade boys who broke in, and <gasps> was it Adam? I don't. It was no. Adam wasn't even uh, in a uh, twinkle in anybody's eye at the time. And but he would have done this. And this is guys, why we know the story because it was told on every uh, every white people's yes. Independence Day. Um, and so I don't know, they might have lit one and the whole place went up and they were burned so severely. And when they came back to school, they had to have the the, the mesh on their faces and the uh, it was just so horrific that it scarred me. For life, I mean, they were literally mm. scarred for life. But yeah, every every white people's Independence Day, I would tell the children, don't ever mess with fireworks. Mm-hmm. Speaking of stories, that story, like telling, using it as a telltale, you know, don't do this. And we're talking about storytelling. My dad texted me yesterday at 6.02 p.m. And he said, 
what was the name of your brother that died you always told Alex about? And oh I said, <laughs> his name was Abraham. <laughs> but also, oh, how this story has changed because that wasn't me telling anyone about, telling Alex, who's my brother, about that. My dad used to tell me a story. I think it went two ways. Abraham was bad. And when Abraham misbehaved, so he got to get fed to the sharks and he died. <gasps> Oh, wow. This explains so much. I don't know if he was bad and got fed to the sharks or he just got attacked by a shark and died. But that was my dad telling me that story. And then he tried to put the blame on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, you do have a thing with sharks in the ocean where you're always like, my brother Abraham. Because your brother Abraham. I I would have asked my dad, why did you name him Abraham? Talk about lies. This this man, I had a picture of him. One time I took it to a whole, my whole birthday party. I was like, oh my God, look, my dad rode a buffalo. I had a picture of him riding a buffalo. And it wasn't until about, it was about 20 that I learned that it was a fake buffalo. How you ride a buffalo? But it was him sitting on top, atop of a fake stuffed buffalo. And they let me tell everybody. People probably still make fun Until of me. you were twenty. <laughs> yeah, I was in college when I learned that Muggsy Bogues didn't sign my autograph poster, and my dad <gasps> signed it. Oh my god! Well, there's a lot of things that Ma, you're like doing a lot right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. When liar knows that when the those who smelt it dealt it. <laughs> I just I I'm sure that there's a huge one that I am forgetting. Hey, can I make purple paint? I wanted to paint my room green and purple. Yeah. And he told me they didn't make purple paint. So I had to paint it green and yellow. And then when it came time to get a dog, I wanted a husky. And he told me that they couldn't live in North Carolina. It was too hot. Wow. (laughs) And I was just like, well, I guess I can't get one. I don't make purple paint and can't get a husky. (laughs) Red and blue. There is something that you... I was like 11. I probably shouldn't have. Well, no, I was like 8. Erin, let's move on. I think like the only I know there's a big one, but a little one was you always woke me up with singing a song. Good morning, good morning, and I was just like, man, that's such a good song. That song slaps. And then when I was in college, in film school, and we it watched wasn't that one. It was you can't always get what you want. No, oh, you did that, I'm and it came on the radio. And I was like, oh, wait. But then it happened later in college with the Good Morning song because then we watched Singing in the Rain. And I was like, what? Oh, you thought she made it up. What? The, <laughs> the Good Morning song? I what? changed the lyrics. What did you How say? Are you I don't remember because I didn't know the real lyrics. So Did you have that tape? You Were you too old for Raffi? Yes. 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 Thank, thankfully. Man, I had the. Thank you, Rafi was great. No, also, didn't get accused also, of anything, but also, wait a second though. But the no, no, but also like you have to think about my mom and my dad. Like th- we were not suspect. My dad had was very short on patience when it came to musical stylings. It's like. True. Well, it, Raffi was great. Baby Beluga and the Deep Blue Sea. No, my I dad know. is not going for and that. And then there I was a, that. I had a whole tape that, and they would have your name on it. So yeah. it was a song, but it, 
this is a song about Christine. And that's what the whole, I loved it. Of course. I did Rafi with my first grade classes in the 90s. Yeah, no, baby my dad was. Beluga in the deep yeah, blue. Baby Beluga, that was a banger. Swim so wild and swim He's so still alive. Cool. He's Egyptian. Did you know that? Oh, nice. Yeah, well, he was born in Egypt, but he's Canadian. My Rafi was Michael Jackson's thriller. That yes. was my Rafi. Yes, it's true. Yes. His parents died within 12 hours of each other. His mother died of abdominal cancer. Oh. Are we talking Rafi or Baby Beluga? Ra- Rafi. <laughs> Baby Beluga probably got killed by fishermen. He did, but his caviar. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. I like. I only know Beluga. Rafi and is a member. Is Rafi is a member of the Canadian charity Artists Against Racism. Yeah, Rafi was great. I just want to make sure nothing bad happened. He published a book in 2013, Three Reasons to Reform Social Media Before It Reforms Us, oh, about the benefits and dangers pre- present in the internet and social media. Rafi knew. I mean, talk about having to scroll when you get to his discography. I bet. I, I missed all of Rafi. I have. No, you I were, have to, yeah, check you him were. out. <laughs> okay. I guess you yeah. talking about Aaron for Christmas. Okay, but also like my dad would just like make up his own music here, you know, like no, my what? mom would too, but it was yeah. I, I wanted Raffy. Yeah, no, Raffy was the it. Bus? He did he create the wheels on the bus? No, because wheels on the bus was a thing when I was a kid before Raffy. Raffy was a thing when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh, see, that was like. Well, I know that that wasn't Raffy then. Good God. Rafi wasn't a twinkle in his father's eye yet. Berna Hills wrote The Wheels on the Bus. Was it in racist? What year? No, was it she, racist? Was, she was born in 1898. <laughs> lived to be lived until 1990. Oh. Oh my gosh. But it was well, originally called The Bus. The lyrics were the wheels of the bus, and each verse ended in lines relevant to what verse what the verse spoke of. Mm. Was there what part of the bus that you're allowed to sit <laughs> the on? The wheels on the bus in the back. It, this is funny. It has a, it has a repetitive rhythm, <laughs> making the song easy for many people to sing in a manner similar to the song 99 Bottles of Beer. Mm. <sighs> that doesn't seem to be very problematic. She was just writing a song about wheels on a bus. Exactly. Other Don't. negative reheatables. I have, um, well, I already mentioned it, the borders and how a lot of the cast of this film is indigenous and Canadian versus American. And then like, oh, whoa, whoa, is that really? Because right. especially to indigenous people of like, oh, I'm Canadian, I'm American. It's like, right. Again, I know, and I wonder if it came from them just trying to find enough actors of that time, like, I don't know. Well, I think that it's probably it's the thing of like that border doesn't really exist with indigenous people or indigenous people. Um, oh man, there was a great there was I really liked how there were a lot of long shots and a lot of tracking shots in this. Mm -hmm. And there's one in particular where Victor 
and Thomas are walking in the desert and Thomas has a canteen and Victor keeps throwing it. And I got really pissed off because the first time he threw that off, I was like, excuse me? And then Thomas just goes running off. No, rattlesnakes, my man. You can't just go in the desert and just think like they are very camouflagey. And while they, they do, camouflage. they do make noise and stuff. They are just out there. So I was very worried about that. And then the second point is y'all are walking in Arizona. You shouldn't be willy nilly with the water. Yeah, I'm I just know. saying. What it's is true. that? It's true. My next bad reheatable is when they burn down Joseph or Arnold Joseph's trailer in Arizona. They mm-hmm. just burn it out in the middle of some place mm-hmm. and my Southern California ass is like, is that okay? Like, cause that How is that not going to set off a whole huge wildfire? Wildfires? Yeah. I mean, and then finally, this is, I wanted to get what you all thought of this because mm-hmm. I, I recognized it and I, I don't know. I could be swayed either way, but I did notice that the actor who played young Victor um, I think he was Cody Lightning, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. When he was young Victor, and it makes complete sense, he was extremely frowny. Just right. smile turned upside down and angry, which would make sense given mm-hmm. of what he had to go through. Well, then when Victor's older and Adam Beach plays him, he's very charismatic and he's very smiley. And I just thought it was... It, very interesting because I just as a young kid he's super frowny and then he grows up but he's still got like the angst and stuff but then he's very smiley in that there was just a, a disconnect mm. for me but I, I wonder know. how I you all people, felt I, I feel like he didn't know how to hide or process his emotions as a kid and then as he grew up you learn how to play the game and and there was one when they were on the bus they, he mentioned that thing about seeing people's teeth yeah. yeah, I don't um, know. Yeah. I just thought he just got older and learned how to, you know, you can't let it as a kid not having a dad and, and your dad died and this or not died left you and like it's a lot to process. You, you know, it's like kids with behavior problems and then they grow up and they're totally fine human beings. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He, but he did talk to. I thought they looked. I thought they looked the more similar than Thomas and young Thomas. Right. Oh, interesting. But older Victor was telling Thomas, you got to look tough because if you don't look tough, mm-hmm. they're going to walk all over you. But but he probably also had learned how to use his smile to um, to get more flies with sugar than with honey with than with vinegar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also to be like um, that works for him as because this wasn't his film debut, but Adam Beach is it was one of his early films, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, look at me, I can be, I can be the young, good-looking yeah. guy, you know that yeah. kind of thing. So okay, yeah, I see it. So weird positive reheatables. My first positive is Spokane. They they spoke oh. about Spokane and the falls in Spokane because my father was born in Spokane, Washington. Oh, I always forget that. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to go just to see. Uh, he remembers it being absolutely beautiful, 
very pristine. And they so went the, from Spokane to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Spokane. Spokane. Yeah. The E doesn't go over and make the A say its name. And uh, the scenery. The scenery was just gorgeous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, also, also, also <laughs> seeing um, uh, the indigenous culture. It was great to see something made by the indigenous people all the way around. Mm -hmm. I put the cast, not yes. C-A-S-T-E, but C-A-S-T. Yes. That was really good. Um, and then my only other, I just forgot to write positive behaviorables, but I wrote community because I feel like it, I, that was one of the things like, I felt like they had a release, really, you know, I just could feel the community and like get a sense for like what it was like. And I just, I just think that's a positive. Mm -hmm. They really painted a, a picture, especially like the radio. Yeah. I feel like it was, um, oh God. Yes. That radio hey, show Red. was amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was in Roger Ebert's review. He wrote, I'm sorry, I'm scanning, scanning. It's Smoke Signals Comes Build as the first feature written, directed, co-produced, and acted by American Indians, which I guess they weren't American Indians, all of them. Um, it hardly seems necessary to even announce that. The film is so relaxed about its characters, so much at home in their world that we sense it's an inside job. Yes. And then he said, most films about Native Americans have had points to make and scores to settle like all those earnest 1950s white films about blacks. Black exploitation broke the <laughs> ice and liberated unrehearsed black voices. And now here are two young Indians who speak freshly, humorously, and for themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think that you would really like Reservation Dogs, Teeny, the show on Hulu. Yeah, I know, I was thinking about that when as I was watching this. I think I would too. Um. Sorry, I was just going to say, Adam, we should watch Reservation Dogs. And then I realized we were podcasting. But Adam, we should watch Reservation yeah, Dogs. I haven't watched it either. Hulu. It's good because it has a lot of the same sensibilities and the sense of humor. But then it's also, you know, it, it's also very poignant and and mm. telling the stories and um, from a lens that you don't see because it's it's exactly. they're telling their own stories and stuff. And there's there's so much humor in it because there because you ha have to have humor you gotta have humor you know? you're gonna be crying the whole time exactly and so it, it is really there's like really funny parts and there's really poignant parts it's just really well done and i've been saving the final season to watch so i'm gonna get to it but it it's i've really enjoyed it okay i will i will um my good rejita bulls are just the age-old hurt people hurt people you know yeah. like joseph arnold he just felt so guilty and stuff and so then he was just hurting people and just it's just this continuous cycle and stuff um i noticed at one point arnold had a united states i i saw the united states flag and i was like huh that's interesting because it was on his like where he lives and stuff when he was um still with the family 
-hmm. And then I took a closer look and I was like, oh, that flag is upside down. Oh. And according to the U.S. flag code, an upside down Uh flag is a signal of dire. Yeah, distress and in instances of extreme danger or life. Yeah. The property. But in t- today, now, the both political parties use it. So, you know, the, the, know. Far, the far right will use it to be like upside down flag. We need to abolish the FBI. And then, you know, um, progressives will use it uh, upside down flag abortion and stuff. So it's it gets I know. co-opted and political. Ever stuff, since but... um, the the twice impeached uh, uh, outer wazoo uh, indicted former president hugged the flag. I've had a really hard time with the flag. You know what? It's just wild because um, you see it now. It just how, pol- well, I mean, there's always that yeah. joke about, do you have a flag? But yeah, like but politically speaking now, when I see the American flag, um, it is very much wait, what is does that mean something different? And it's kind what of exactly how, are you saying that? And it, oh, and yeah. now it's it's like that when you see Palestinian flags and Israeli flags. It's like wait, well, what? Like it's just yeah. wild when you're seeing the flag of like, oh wait, what does this mean? Like you know, it, it's man. Remember after nine eleven when I was <laughs> on a quest to find an American? It took me forever to find one, and then. I got one and it didn't fit in our flag holder outside. And so I had to whittle the wooden thing that held it down to fit in. And by the time I got it to fit in, it was past sunset and Poppy wouldn't let me fly it because it was past sunset. And I was like, I finally got it to fit. I want it. Yeah. Well, people don't, people who are, who are (gasps) clutched the pearls and aghast of, of, um, like because you have to treat the flag and do all this. It's wild to see how many flags I see out in the rain, how many flags oh, I see God. at yeah. night that don't have a light directly on them. Like how yeah. many things, like growing up as an army kid of mm-hmm. all of like the flag rules and all these people who there, and then you see like um, men's speedos in the flag pattern, like all of these things where it's like, that is completely disrespecting the flag. Exactly. But yet somebody takes a knee because they're just like, hey, Stop killing innocent people based exactly. on the color of their skin, and heads explode. It's like that flag mm-hmm. is in the rain. That was like, what are you? Exactly. That's disrespectful. Um, the song about John Wayne's teeth. You, you know I'm here for oh, any yeah. kind of John Wayne <laughs> slander. How much poop did he have in his body when he died? Oh, he, he just used had to a be on the massive tip of her amount. Tongue. Yeah, what? I forgot. Why? Yeah, I heard yeah, he one. died with massive, um, massive so, amounts of poop inside I don't know how it ever happened, but I'm always afraid I would have to get poop surgically removed from me. Well, he just died with just, it was just, he was just full of shit, I guess. It's, oh, it's I, fake. I don't no, know. He, he, it, it, well, I don't know. 40 pounds? See? 40 pounds of poop? Yes, yes. It was something massive. He was constipated yes. from pain medication. Or he's just full of shit. Full so of shit. Make you constipated. Yeah, but you never saw his teeth. This said John Wayne had 30 pounds of undigested red meat in his colon. <laughs> See, I, I I totally believe it. Elvis had 30 pounds of feces. Yeah. Mm. 
I guess okay. that happens when you're on pain medication. For and maybe we shouldn't publish that, but it's kind of fun when it's people that. And I have to say, I'm just Google. I'm on Google. Who knows who? Exactly. Uh, what is real and what isn't? I mean, you. I've been adding my flax. I had the flaxseed during the week. I got the flaxseed going in with the frozen kale and the green banana. And whoo wee <laughs> is my colon. <laughs> okay, so we're quotables. No, I have one Oh, more. we aren't. And my, wrong. My good reheat. Wrong. My final good reheatable is man. If man? I had it, no, no. Oh. I was just saying. I was like, that's your final good reheatable <laughs> is man. Yeah, because you know me. You're specifically, specifically white man. Finally, you get canceled. Jeez. Finally. The I, man. Okay. I never thought you'd say anything to get canceled, but here it is. Oh, a court. Like, if we're speaking honestly, this podcast has been banned from yeah. in Arizona. Okay. Like, there's just no way. <laughs> This, if you're listening to this podcast, God bless you because you know that it is not for mass media, mass consumption, and in these times, um, man, no, I say man <laughs> instead of like, like, would you rather the go like, um, my final good reheatable, if I hadn't already promised in 2014 to name future dog after a member of the German World Cup winning team, the runner-up would definitely be having a dog named Kafka. Oh, I love that. I love that he had a dog named Kafka. That's hilarious. You know how many times I think about Kafka? I think about Kafka the way that men think about... The Roman Empire. Yes, exactly. I'm at work and I, cause he had that story about how he was just at work and he slowly turned into a cockroach. And I'm like, well, if that ain't the funniest story yeah. ever, it yeah. really is. I mean, except it's true. Given my industry, it is so Kafka-esque. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Great. Kafka is a dog name. I'm putting that out there, Teeny. There you go. Kafka could be the next one. We almost we almost met a dog. I thought I I'm I'm it's I'm counting I know. down. I know. We're on the we're on the clock. Oh, did I send you the one? No. no. But it's it we know you two. She got adopted. Oh. A she? Well, We've never had a she. Never had a she. I know, neither have I. Interesting. She was very cute, but she got at home, so that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. What will be, will be. Exactly. As we learned with Dr. Jeff. Yes. <laughs> what won't be, won't be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, word of quotables. Mm -hmm. You know how Indians feel about signing papers. And if they don't, <laughs> whew, they should. <laughs> You know, the only thing more pathetic than Indians on TV is Indians watching Indians on TV. Yeah, that was a good one. That was so good. It's more like Tonto and Tonto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried that scene was going to go wrong. It did at first, but it ended up going okay. But, ooh. Yeah. That um, could be in a good reheatable just because it's just brown yeah. people and cops. <laughs> uh -huh. 
I already said my one about needing your passports. Mm-hmm. About the United States, that's as foreign as it gets. You ain't got nothing to complain about, so why don't you just stay quiet? Ooh. Yes, yes. People are awful. They'll rob you blind if you aren't watching. Mm. And then I just liked this one. Sometimes it's a good day to die, and sometimes it's a good day to have breakfast. Exactly. That's a good one. Yeah. Especially when your mom makes pancakes. <laughs> That's for my dad. Hi, he's never going to hear us, but that was a, he's laughing. <laughs> if only he listened to the podcast. I know. He's he would not, be just guffawing right dying. now. Um, I have quit your crying. I didn't hit you that hard. Ooh. Now you Abuse. did not hear that, but mm. I kind of did. I'll give you something to cry about, is what I used to hear. I remember hearing that. <laughs> I mean, truth, truth be told, but um, <laughs> you just you know, just because just physical abuse is horrible. Um, I really liked the accent. The reservation yes. accent. Oh yeah. Yes. I I enjoy it. Um, and when he you mentioned it, Christine, when he was talking about the I think it was Arnold and he was giving him the story to the girls in the car going mm-hmm. backwards, and he said at first they charged him with attempted murder, but they plea bargained down to assault with a deadly weapon. And then they plea bargained that down to being an Indian in the twentieth century. Yeah. Then then he got two years in Walla Walla. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was good yes um when he's on the bus he says get stoic white people will run all over you if you don't look mean mm-hmm. exactly i came out with that lesson didn't i ma you did you came mm-hmm. as as an infant she could throw a look on people that would literally make <laughs> them take a step back from her oh and look not at just the not race. just yeah not just people germans germans oh. <laughs> They would. They would literally take a step back. Make them. I would make them like, hey, slow your roll. <gasps> um. Yeah. Apparently, like, I, I don't know. I can just do it. I wish that I could summon it to do it, but I like, I'll get a reaction from people and be like, I think I just did that, which my mom talks to me about, because all of a sudden people have really backed off away from me. Um. Oh, when she said, wish we'd been this organized when Columbus landed. Yes, exactly. Well, but then again, it wouldn't have done any good because. I know I almost put that on there, but I was like, I don't know. I don't want to place any. It's like not their fault. Yeah, because that's just. And that's the disease. Disease. Mm -hmm. You weren't exposed to that. Mm -hmm. Um. And then this is just an ouch. Saying, you make your mom cry. Ouch. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I hope I don't. You make your mom cry. (laughs) Oh, wow. Now she's fake crying. Okay. Drama queen. Usually it's your brother. (laughs) No. Unbelievable. You 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 lucked out. You got the kid lottery. You got the kid lottery and the kid in law lottery. I did indeed. I did indeed. I am a very lucky person. 
Oh, we're moving on. Okay. Because you're just basking in your luck. I was basking in my luckiness. Okay. LVP is, it took until 1998 for an all Indian film. Well, you know what? If you, I, it's like, I bet it's, remember when we went to the black cinema mm-hmm. exhibit and then you, we saw how there were all these like across the nation there were black production houses and black production companies i feel like it's kind of the same thing with indigenous people and cameras and stuff it's just we don't know and things probably have and that thing by that roger ebert's review was like this is like tell it's like uh known as the first i don't know there was some verbiage in there that i was like oh maybe it's not because it's not the first film created by Native Americans in the U.S., but it's the first feature written, directed, and produced by Native Americans to, feature, I guess. to reach a wide audience, to, both to in the U.S. Attention. and abroad. Right, yeah. right, right. So there's, there are probably, there's probably an Oscar Michaud of indigenous filmmakers. I bet there is. You know? And we need to figure out who that is. I mean, good luck, but yeah. My LVP is fireworks. Thank you. Like, and I, thank you again. Mm-hmm. We don't need, they're stupid. We have drones. Let's do drones in the sky for 4th of July. Drones in the sky for 4th of July. It even rhymes. But you know what? Here's an interesting thing, Teeny, though. For us, it's like, oh, yeah, just put drones. But if you were in, I like, um, Afghanistan and someplace in the Middle East where they hear drones and that means death to them because well, they're not celebrating the Fourth of July. I know, but it's it's still that thing of like fireworks and it, it's the just just the perspective thing that I'm just yeah. saying of like well, our perspective in the is States, we don't need fourth we we don't need fireworks. My father hated them. Let's do something else on the Fourth of July because they reminded him of the war. But that's, yeah. yeah, that's my point. He hated them because they reminded him of the war. But if you had a different perspective, like, we'd like, oh, we replaced it with drones, but there are people in the world who drones to them oh, yeah. are fireworks. Sure. Let's not do that then. I don't care. Hey, we'll no, take I don't any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take it all away. Yeah. I don't need any of it. I don't Let's know. Let's do though. something else. Let's just cook out. I do. I understand both things, but then when I see the Tina Turner firework, I, I know. Do, I, I do love me a Tina Turner firework. It's, well, I know. Then you're, then you're just as bad as all the rest. I am. Well, we horrible. are because yeah, because we would we would go to the Pentagon and we would watch the fireworks and we would celebrate the white people's independence. Yeah, we did. We yeah. Because black people did a whole lot. Like it's my country too. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm not mad about the fireworks because of the danger. Celebrating whatever danger and the dogs. Right. I'm and not the... mad about fireworks for what they represent. I'm mad about exactly. the exactly. and the dogs and the veterans and all. Exactly of for yeah, for the the negative impact. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and I do have to I have to be like okay do you love them that much or is it exactly. like exactly is it something you can give up yeah yeah yes yeah yes. yeah you know? for the betterment of m- man and animal kind mm-hmm. then I kind of do I... some that are oh, freaking amazing how did they make no. that happen I I know it's almost I mean, like yeah, there's a science cool. to it it's, yeah mm-hmm. yeah. 
what we need to come okay well well we're just not nuanced enough to to really but some country has figured out silent ones oh that would be nice still fire it is so that wouldn't save this issue right but it's not triggering for uh our veterans or well, I think that part still caught on fire. Though. But part of this issue, honestly, has to do with alcohol and fireworks. Yes, like that but was a big. That could happen anyway if it misfired. Yes, if it right. misfired. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if some young boys get in yeah, there. But either way, that's my opinion, and I think that's my LVP. Mm. And there you go. I and we it. accept it mm-hmm. and respect it. Um, we hear you. And Aaron, we've heard your LVP. Wait, who was what was your LVP, Ma? Mine was it taking 1998 to get an. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Mine, we've already discussed it, but it, I was just, I mean, I was watching the movie and then got instantly taken out of it. Victor's wig. It was. It, it was okay. awful. Yeah, it was I just. Mean, it was obviously they. I understand that that I definitely understand that this was a feature film that was on a shoestring budget, is independent, you know, so money, money. But that was obviously a woman's wig that they just put on him. Yeah. It just had a woman's cut to it and everything, and it was See, what so they needed, bad. This is what they needed because this is why. Uh, the greatest of them all, Tina Turner, made her own wigs because she wasn't going to be seen in something like that. Yeah, but so that's she a was lot gonna, of money. She was going to have the hairline back a little bit. It wasn't going to come down that far. And you get your lace front, get it all nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but then that's also. It's. I mean, and then we're talking like, oh, it's indigenous people and all of that, but. But I do also feel, because it is 1998, that there probably weren't a lot of women involved in the making of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And that it was just, oh, just go and get a wig and put it on and it'll be okay. Or for people not as enlightened as the (laughs) three of us, (laughs) you could have said, why didn't he just cut his own hair? But that's well, a whole other thing. And, and um, yeah. yeah, I've done research into that. So, because I was thinking the, the, the same as well. But again, that's, I think that's also, that's an actor thing of are you willing to do? Because sometimes, you know, some actor, especially when they have to do like a, you know, when they're in prison and stuff, and then they like the or women they, and with the shaved heads, and some right. are like, "This, I'm going for it. Yeah, let's go, yeah. do it." And, and some are like, "In Les Mis," and under- some are like, "Yo, no, I got another, but I got another whole, gig lined up." It's a whole cultural thing with um, our indigenous people. Exactly so. because that was yeah, the it's thing. Like, if you talk about if your job was like, "Hey, you got to cut your hair," I'd be like, "Absolutely not." When Adam How had much his, am I being paid? Would be when Adam pay. had his senior picture taken. He had uh, okay. He had his longer hair and he had the um, the braids in his hair. And um, then uh, um, a model being agency contacted. What? They, yeah, you know this. 
and they were so we went to we had to go to like Wait, DC. Did you know that? No, he's never told me that. No, he would. And and so (laughs) we went there, and so they gave him like a script to read, and it that that's not his gift, and so it was like uh, they said to him, um, you know, would you be willing to cut your hair for this? It was probably like a Sears catalog situation, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he was like, I don't know. And then they were like, um, uh, so why do you, you know, want to get into modeling? And I told him, (laughs) I told him to say, because I want to get all the hoes, but I don't think he said that (laughs) because we, we had to keep it light and that's as far as it went, but um, yeah, it was like, would you be willing to cut your hair? And he's like, well, I, I don't know at this point. Yeah, so that was that. Where did they find you? Catalog? Because of- like, He was, was just walking around and people no, was like, hey. No, it was his senior picture. And then whoever oh. saw the senior picture and went, now this could, this might be something that we Do could- you have it? Yeah, it's the scene. It's a picture that's in her bedroom. His senior picture, yeah. I don't spend a lot of time in your picture. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> well, this Christmas. No, but it's also isn't it out in the in the living room? I mean, I don't room? know. There's a ton of pictures of him oh, it everywhere. Is. It's in the yeah, like how am I supposed to know there what's are. in the senior picture? There are. It's not hanging in my house. No, yeah, it's like yeah. Because you can't look. Somebody did come into my house one time and say, "Oh, wow, you, the, oh, I think I know what you're talking about." You can't mm-hmm. look anywhere without smizing? seeing your kids. Is he smizing in the picture, smiling with his eyes? <laughs> yeah. Does he ever not smile with Do his eyes? Do you know eyes? what picture we're talking about? He this is yes. my son. Will you send me a picture of it? I will. I will. I'll send you both because there were two. There was oh, one okay. that was the uh, the the senior picture with the bow tie Tux- tuxedo tuxedo, and then there's one in a sweater where he's I think <laughs> I think his hands might be you know oh he was the, voguing the hand he might have been voguing I will send them after this <laughs> oh, send it to I want to see wow this Whoa. definitely got but okay so why did we get here. I don't remember. Cutting your hair. That was Aaron's LVP. Mm. We're to MVP now. You're up. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I don't have an MVP. I <gasps> love, I, no, I love the film. I loved it. Yes. I loved everything about, so the film, the film is my MVP. Okay. Um, the future <laughs> that, that Adam Beach would have. Mm. He's done very well for himself. He's done very well. I just saw something recently with him in it, but I don't remember what it is. Mine ended up being Thomas. Mm-hmm. And at first I was so, un- I was like kind of annoyed by him, but I was yeah, like, okay. shut the fuck up. He lost his parents as an infant. He was thrown out of a fucking window. He lives with his grandma. But... And then every time, hey, Victor, do you know why your dad left? I remember, like, hey, Victor, hey, Victor, like, shut the fuck up about my dad who left me. And then I was like, read the room. But then I was like, oh, maybe he can. Yeah, he might have been reading the room. 
But I then really... the whole time he was also trying to teach him, like the end when he was like, hey, Victor, do you know how your dad left? And he was like, Victor was like, yes. Yes. I can't remember what he said. But mm-hmm. yeah, he was just trying to teach him a lesson the whole time. And he was a sweet boy. And him and his grandma, and- when his grandma got so excited when he came back. Mm-hmm. I know. And he was like, the the storyteller of the tribe yeah he was keeping those yeah. stories alive and like offering to yeah he might have been on the spectrum what he was like might have wait well yeah definitely when he was um Tom, he was like hey victor i'm sorry about your dad and victor was like how'd you hear about it and he said i heard it in the wind i heard it from the birds i felt it in the sunlight and your mom was just in here crying mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's the one that's keeping that ar- around like he's one of exactly. the people who's yeah. gonna learn the language and, and pass it along and keep it around exactly also exactly. i forgot about this reheatable but like his his he kept getting made fun of of his suit, but his suit was aged much better than Victor's attire, in my opinion. Of like, oh yeah, he's. A, I mean, put a guitar in his hands, and he's a in the band in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, but it's such a it's such a callback to being made white. Yeah, that yes, definitely. Of yeah, wearing that, but then. I mean, Victor's wearing jeans and flannel as well. So it, that's still um, that. It reminded me, though, Victor's hair. So the one time I remember my grandma did my hair, my black grandma, she did my hair in Victor stylings with the two braids. And she, she just... Man, she put so much product in my hair and got the two <laughs> braids. And I have this thing where um, if my hair is covering my ears and it's hot, like, I'll get hot. So I'll, if it's hot, my hair goes up so that, it's, <laughs> so that my ears can breathe. Because if mm-hmm. it's hot, it's just like my, my ears are, if my ears are covered... I get hot. So in the wintertime, it's great. Have my hair covering my ears. Stay nice and warm. But man, I was visiting her in Kentucky in the summertime. And she <laughs> made my hair in the braids, covering all of my ears, lathered, just lathered in pink oil. And oh, she could have so she could have done it in any way that she wanted. And I just thought it was hilarious that that was the way that she decided to do my hair was in <laughs> those two braids, just like how Victor was. So I do have this like nice, sentimental, funny, weird memory of the time that my grandmother did my hair. <laughs> and I just had to and and just sweating. And my sweat was a combination of the pink oil and the oh. and my salts and my juices. And I'm just, I was just so uncomfortable. But I was just like, yeah, thanks, Grandma. <laughs> Love it. All right. Can I go to the toy store and pick up my toy now? Because the one time that we went and Erin was going to go to uh, the black beauty shop and get her hair um, blown out and straight straightened because the straight like 
that's not you know not good chemically hair. straightened not chemically straightened oh, but okay. straightened with uh, a lot of product and a lot of heat mm-hmm. and a lot of using a brush to straighten it mm-hmm. so we get to the the place and I'm just crossing my fingers and toes that nothing goes wrong and and the lady says so Erin how do you want your hair and she says <laughs> I want it to look like my mommy's oh uh oh record scratch at the beauty store now to me as a little kid I to me when I when I wanted my hair to look like my mom's it meant that I just got in the shower washed my hair came out and didn't have to do anything to my hair didn't have to sit for three hours getting product in it getting made up it just meant that I just got my hair wet my hair dried and I could just go about on my way but because of the cast and good hair and all of that 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 means I made a daggers thrown at me just daggers thrown because the white woman that comes the little black girl wants white hair white hair but in my defense isn't that why we were there though because yeah truth be told to straighten hair to make it closer in proximity to white people's hair like so so four hours later she comes out with a fairly straight hair but as soon as she hits the humidity of lexington kentucky it goes back so yeah, that was that was a moment. That was a moment for both of us. But you have, but you know what, Ma? Just thank you because you had to, like, if you have a kid that's black and you're a white mom, you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations because even though now I wear my hair natural, I really look back onto those periods of um getting my hair processed and all of that and it does it, I feel like I like that's my black experience like one right. of my black like it makes me feel close to my black roots of getting my hair processed having to go through all of that and while now I don't wear my hair like that at all I it's it's like oh that's a that's a, a black rite of passage it's a cultural it's, thing right and like and a lot of all the comedians who talk about getting their hair processed. And like I got to go through it, but there are a lot of people who are out here like raising kids that they would not put themselves in that kind of position. And when you sign up for this, that's something that you need to do. You sign up you for gotta, the whole shebang. You gotta put yourself in some wild positions where you're just like, I have to eat this L and just sit in it. <laughs> and I did for four more hours. Okay, is that everybody's MVP? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't do my MVP. Oh okay. my gosh, you guys, fry bread. I've never oh, had it. I have And now either. I looked it up too for my tasty. I want to go there. I it's do fry and bread. and bread. My two favorite things. I know. I Did know. you look up the history? Yes, Mm-mm. I didn't. The, I was looking at the, this is from okhistory.org, and it's not just because it's okay, it's because Oklahoma. Oklahoma. The Encyclopedia of Oklahoma History and Culture. And this says, so I don't know how valid this site is, but it seems, it seems, you know. 
fry bread associated with American Indian cuisine, along with the relative, its relative, the Indian taco, emerged in the 20th century as a favored treat at Oklahoma fairs, powwows, festivals, and restaurants. According to many historians, American Indians, usually those connected with the Southwest, developed fry bread during the mid to late 19th century as the United States government began relocating and confining these peoples. Mm -hmm. Having to adapt to new sources of subsistence, many tribes learned to cook with traditional U.S. Army rations using the provided white wheat flour. Native Mm -hmm. cooks hand flattened and deep fried the dough into distinctive golden bread. This is what sounds great to me. Fry bread had many variants. It can contain pumpkin or squash, be topped with fruits and sweets, or be covered with beans, chili, onions, tomatoes, and mm. cheese to create an Indian taco. Most cooks have their own unique recipe to make the simple dish. In 1993, the American Indian Exposition in Anadarko, Anadarko hosted its first national fry bread contest. Oh. That sounds great. Um, fry bread in the form of Indian tacos has long been a favorite at the State Fair of Oklahoma. Um, but that it all just sounds delicious. It's flour, large sugar, um, once offered to starving reservation people as a partial payment for the millions of acres of treaty stolen land <laughs> and transformed by native ingenuity to disguise mold and rancidity here becomes a portable artifact of Indian authenticity for tourist consumption. That was by the uh scholar patricia holden and sheree hundorf um that was what they said about selling fry bed at the gift shop at the national museum of the american indian oh because i was wondering because it's like it's not it's only came because it came about because of these well, people's you, lands are being taken. Yeah. Right, the ingenuity, right. you know, but it does right. sound fucking delicious. It does, doesn't it? It's like most it of Southern cooking. Yeah, well. right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just I love anything you could put a topping on. It's like a... I saw one thing that was like, you could eat it straight out of the pan or you could, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, right. I love bread and I love yeah. fried shit. So you're going to tell me that there's something called fry bread? I know. Why I have know. I not had I know. My aunt who lived well, we in. We need to go to the Oklahoma State Fair. My know. lived aunt who lived in New Mexico used to call Wonder Bread wet bread. Oh. Because yeah, she's she didn't want anything to do with wet bread. She Interesting. Wanted... She didn't adapt to what we know it as is white bread. <laughs> it was a wet bread. Okay. Because <laughs> it was white. So we're doing recasting, and it is an indigenous people's Native American Indian movie, so you could only recast it with people from indigenous tribes, and so I didn't because I don't know enough about that part of the industry. Yes, unfortunately, it's not like we have a surplus of... Like this didn't usher in a whole surplus of now there's we have all of these indigenous people and stuff. It's kind of that that thing. Well, I guess I'll I'll get to it later with that. But instead of recasting, I wanted to shout out um, Michelle St. John. She played the other woman who was in the car being driven backwards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She was the passenger. Mm -hmm. She played Velma. 
And in 2016, she directed the Canadian documentary film Colonization Road about the impact of Ontario's historic colonization road system, which was used to make their highway system and how that impacted the First Nations people. Oh, oh. I'll bet. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, oh, that because we've kind of done that in cast on mm-hmm. our show about yeah. the United States and how cast played a role in our interstate system and stuff. And so, you know, like, oh, it's in Canada that it was that. So I thought, like, that's a it's a documentary that she did in 2016. So it's worth getting your Googles on. Well done. Okay, there aren't many uh, tasty titties for this film. Oh, Aaron. I already did mine. I did mine on fry bread. Right. That was good. Um, Now, I did look up alcoholism and uh, indigenous peoples, Native American, Native American. Okay. The roots of the epidemic of alcohol-related problems among many Native North Americans are sought in cultural responses to European arrival, the role of alcohol in frontier society, and colonial and post-colonial policies. Evidence from the historical record is considered within the framework of current social sciences. Initially, Native Americans' responses to alcohol were heavily influenced by the example of white frontiersmen who drank immoderately and engaged in otherwise unacceptable behavior while drunk. Whites also deliberately pressed alcohol upon the natives because it was an immensely profitable trade. Hmm. The answer to every question is money. Money. And followed by cast. <laughs> Amazing. In addition, alcohol was used as a tool of diplomacy in official dealings between authorities and natives, uh, indigenous people. The authors argue that further research into the origins of modern indigenous people's problems with alcohol would benefit from the interdisciplinary deterrence of health approach in which biological influences on alcohol problems are investigated in the context of the cultural, social, and economic forces that have shaped individual and group drinking patterns. Mm. It just seems to me that the the framework of the indigenous people and alcohol don't work well together. Like, like they have a, a predisposition for um, alcohol not working well with their systems because it is a huge problem. Well, is it that alcohol doesn't work well with their system or is it generational trauma and pain that they're looking, that people are looking to, because I, I'm, I wonder if you really, is it such a big deal because it's so it's a small concentrated people who have been fucked over since for centuries upon centuries right but and then you a- look at you look at like is that more of a problem than you see what poor white white poor white people drink themselves to death like in general just white people drink themselves to death there's just more of them poor white people have like we would see that with when we did coal miners and stuff, alcoholism right. That's true. in that That's area. True. 
black people have alcoholism like alcohol but the percentages of alcoholism with um indigenous people is like three percent time but, is, point but does that have to do with the blood quantum and that oh because well, they're there they're actually like what very counts? possibly i mean all of it so this it's is just, this article this is a uh a uh, medical publication mm-hmm. Nas- national library of medicine um this is uh written by two PhDs that, and the title is Evidence for a Genetic Component for Substance Dependence in Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Now, the substance dependence has shown a substantially heritable component, about 50% of the risk resulting from genetic influences and the general populations. Fewer studies have investigated the role of genetics and the risk for substance. It's long. Um, yeah. Well, but, but, but it could be alcohol, possible. But right. alcoholism, that's a disease. And so... I could see how, I don't know. I just, it makes me feel uncomfortable because it's almost like. Well, this is what this says. I see it was just sorry to cut you off because you said trauma mm-hmm. exposure. This says the conclusion was substance dependence has a substantial genetic component in Native Americans, similar in magnitude to that reported for other populations. So it's not that it's necessarily higher. Mm-hmm. The higher rates of substance dependence seen in some tribes is likely a combination of a lack of genetic protective factors, metabolizing enzyme variants, mm-hmm. combined with genetically medi- mediated risk factors, externalizing traits, consumption drive, drug sensitivity and tolerance that combine with key environmental factors, trauma exposure, the early age of onset use, environmental mm-hmm. hardship contingencies to produce increased risk for the disorder. So right. I don't think you'd say it's either one or the other. Right. I just think because... I, I've seen Killers of the, the Flower Moon and um, just one of the, not just in that film, but one of the tropes is kind of like of like white people looking down upon the indigenous population of being like, oh, look, see, they're inferior because they're sickly and weak. And so I, I'm just very careful in, you, you see it like with black people and like, mm-hmm. um, uh, how like sprinters in Jamaica and how like we did a, a thing in, in the show about that of how because of genetics and in order to survive the Atlantic slave trade like the the genetic traits that help people survive that trait um, would benefit and then in especially in Jamaica when they had like the different um, elements and minerals that were within the soil and stuff that then grows up in the with the fast twitch mis- muscles and stuff but then so y- you can start from this place but then it just the way that white supremacy works it gets real it's good it's a real slippery slope into then um using that as oh well they just can't handle their alcohol and they're just genetically inferior like it's it's used as oh, an no. inferior yeah. kind of thing yeah and that's there is something because we mentioned it before with the genetics and the type two diabetes and all of that. But then there's also the flip side of that coin and to be really careful into not painting indigenous people as, Oh, well they're genetically susceptible. Like as it's like some sort of defect when alcoholism can be 
passed down through all different societies and, right. and that kind of thing. So that's what that's just my like I understand where that's coming from, but I definitely want to make a mark of like a distinction of not of being careful because we get real close into being like Nazis and Charles Lindbergh and right. um, like genetically like w- right. superior kind of thing. And yeah, I don't, like, I don't think the same, the yeah, this is the same, no, this, uh, just as other populations. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not seeing it as, as a negative or positive. Yeah. I'm just saying there's something in their makeup that makes alcohol more addictive to them than it is to other people. That's not a positive or a negative. It's just a. A, a, a scientific and yeah and all of the right. other layers and all right. of the other I think it's real easy I just don't want to fall into the trap of being like oh exactly. it's just genetics rather than oh well I don't know maybe 90% of the their population got decimated and wiped yeah, out right. and this 10% that survived maybe they survived and the reason that they survived it happens to be a thing that is bad it's like what we see with COVID and people who like died from covid um but probably would have survived other different diseases right. and stuff the, or like the people how you who, see with malaria and that kind of thing the people who survived the slave ships now have high blood pressure because that is exactly what helped them survive mm-hmm. the slave ship yeah uh, yeah i didn't it's, mean it i yeah, yeah. It, it's more of a um it's more of a yin and yang kind of thing of like, you're not going to have a, a superior thing because w- one thing that is su- you're superior in one way will make you inferior genetically mm-hmm. in other ways. Like you're more susceptible to this than you are to this. And this. Right, it's, right, it's very right. much uh, an even flow, but because there are so few indigenous people and their stories are so few told by their themselves it's been told by white people mostly. And in that sense, it gets, it's very, you, you get, it's very easy to fall into the, Oh, they're so weak. And there's, so, look at oh, them. God. They can't handle yeah. their liquor. And I just uh, don't like, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's in the opposite. Also, it wasn't until I watched Yellowstone. <laughs> and <laughs> Okay. And um, the cutting of your hair as as part of the grieving process. Oh. I didn't I didn't know that that and and um, Yellowstone takes place in Montana, close to Idaho. So there's, but yeah, um, there are certain tribes that because hair is a huge issue. Um, in every culture evidently (laughs) yeah but but having your long flowing hair and then when you are totally grieving to cut that off is is a visual of how badly you are grieving Mm. and that came out in this movie and I thought that was really interesting I forget what it's called but there's something when you cut off like if you've processed your hair chemically like to chemically straighten it and then when you i forget what it is but it there's it's a name for it when you cut off your hair 
all the so processed the, hair. Yeah, all the processed hair. I remember I, when I did that, and it was I was just a little microphone head, and it's just like, oh my gosh. And you're like, it's gonna grow back. It's fine. And then you're like, oh wow, I have really curly hair. I can. It turns out I was right. I did have my hair just like my mother, but like completely different in exactly. a different way. But like exactly. what I meant. You can wash it and let it go. And be okay with looking like Gene Simmons on some days. Some days. And some <laughs> days, it doesn't work. Okay, those were my tasty. I have that this one, the film, the Sundance Film Festival's Filmmakers Trophy and Audience mm -hmm. Award in 1998. It won Best Film in the 1998 American Indian Film Festival. It had a budget of $2 million, and it made $6.7 million. Nice. Wow. Profit. Mm -hmm. In the movie, when Arnold asks his son, Victor, who's your favorite Indian? And Victor replies, nobody. Nobody was the name of Gary Farmer, who played Victor's father. Oh. His character, so that actor played a character in a different movie called Dead Man, and his character in that film was named Nobody. Um, so that was kind of like an inside joke. In 2023, Cody Lightning, who played the young Victor, he released a mockumentary. Remember last week we did a mockumentary, Spinal Tap. He, Cody Lightning released a mockumentary called Hey Victor. And it's about a fictionalized version of himself trying to self-fund a sequel to Smoke Signals to this film. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. So that's probably it's worth finding and checking out. I'm like, that's something I would have done. Definitely that's hilarious. Um, this is labeled this in weird. I was looking at the list of awards that the film won, and in 1998, one of the awards that this film won was the Christopher Award, and I did record scratch. <laughs> like, what is this award? It was established in 1949, and it was it's presented to producers, directors, and writers of books, films, and TV specials that, quote, affirm the highest values of the human spirit. Oh. It's given by the Christophers, and that's a Christian inspirational group. The name is derived from Greek Christophorus, which means mm -hmm. Christ-bearer, and this group, the Christophers, preach religious tolerance. I just thought that it was real funny considering that when I saw a Christopher Award, I immediately thought of Christopher Columbus. Columbus? That, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you know, that Christ bearer of the genocide that we have been speaking throughout this whole podcast about. And then I just thought it was funny because, you know, Columbus wasn't the first one European that came here. It's right. wild to think that the Vikings came here and yet they didn't start the Ice Age. So Right, right. <laughs> Um, and then Jason Asnap in a 2019 article called Smoke Signals as was needed but doesn't hold up. It was an article about that because I kind of wondered like, okay, from the indigenous right. perspective, and mm -hmm. this is just one man's perspective, of course, but um, in his article, he kind of quotes that line about what's your favorite Indian that it really stood out to him looking back at it because he remembered when he went to like how excited he was to see it. But then in 2019, looking back at the film, um, he said that quote, it's a ludicrous statement written for a white audience 
as if Indians sit around and think of themselves in this pop culture kind of way. That was something. Yeah, really... I'd be like if somebody was like, "What's your favorite white person?" Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He also says how Adam Beach and Evan Adams are enormously likable characters, and how that meant that white people could discuss the film at dinner parties and feel good about themselves, while indigenous people were just happy to see ourselves on the screen. Right. Right. And in an interview that Chris Iyer gave in 1998, he said, quote, there's Native America and then there's America's Native America. America's Native America is the place that mainstream America holds in a romantic place. Indians could be dead and gone and there would still be Indian head icons on fruit boxes and Cherokee this and Cherokee that. Mm-hmm. I want to get away from the romantic stuff. Indian people are like anybody, complicated people. Yes. Yes. Those were my tasty titties. Christine? I did mine already. Okay. This has been Smoke Signals, which I think is important. This is definitely important. Yeah, I, think I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and it's... um, I mean, they're... It's interesting to see, but what the Jason guy was saying about, like, that's kind of what I feel about when we do black movies from the past and stuff, how you're always like, "Uh," but there's always, so that's why I kind of wanted to hear, like, oh, well, how does this within the community, because it's such a complicated community and people are just complicated and, you know, there isn't a monolith at all. Exactly, exactly, exactly. What a great choice. And then especially like going into Thanksgiving and people be like, oh, but I'm so... Dis-. But no, Thanksgiving is just... A, it's about communing with your family and the people that you care about. You don't have to tie it to, you know, what happened, genocide and whatnot. Can we bring it up every Thanksgiving? Okay. okay. This has been Smoke Signals. I, uh, I'm rather proud of myself. And so next week... It's my choice, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a little bit of a choose your own adventure. (gasps) She always always takes a left turn. Two totally separate ones. Hmm. Well, basically, you need to decide whether you want to do a documentary Mm. or a comedy drama. Huh. I love both. And they're both for Native American Heritage Month. Oh. Are we able to see both films? (laughs) The documentary for sure. Okay. It's free on um, Prime. The other one? I'm going with the documentary on Prime. Okay. I do like a documentary. The only reason, yeah, I was just like, sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, what do we talk about if it's a documentary, you know? But I'm sure there's something. Oh, come on. Karen we- always has points. Okay, well, we'll go documentary because the other one is like, do you want to know what the other option was? Yes. I don't even know how to watch it. <laughs> That's why we're gonna go with the Classic. documentary. Yeah, you might have to find the DVD. 
The other one was going to be Powwow Highway because that was written. That was 1989. Mm. Oh, okay. Based and it was like before this film and yeah. Um, Gary Farmer is one of the stars in it. Mm. Oh wow! But it's directed by someone named Jonathan West, who giving white name. I don't know for sure, but oh yeah. Um, well, if the other one was the first feature film to be well it had a lot of different caveats in it i feel like miramax sprinkled a lot of Mm -hmm. okay well we're not doing it so i guess it doesn't matter we'll never know um (laughs) the documentary is called real engine r-e-e-l r-e-r-e-e-l like a real like a movie reel oh and then engine i-n-j-u-n and it's about the Hollywood yes I am so in um Cree filmmaker Neil Diamond takes a look at the Hollywood Indian exploring the portrayal of North American natives through a century of cinema traveling through the heartland of America and into the Canadian North Diamond looks at how the myth of the Indian has influenced the world's understanding and misunderstanding of natives nice this is like the, when we did disclose. What was it? Disclosure, and it was about um, trans people in film. Uh huh. <laughs> Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was blinking on disclosure. I, I, it began with a D. I don't know if it was disclosure, but I remember that it was. Trans lives on screen. Yeah. It was yeah. Like Twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's about. It's like that. Um. Because I had also, I'm, uh, you have y'all, y'all have done Dances with Wolves, right? No, we have uh, not, but it's extremely okay. long. I've never seen it, and I thought about doing it because it's like, yeah, contrast of this, just you know. But I, then I thought you'd already done it, that's why I didn't pick that. No, we have not done Dances with Wolves. So maybe this would be good to see this, and then I don't know, but exactly, yeah. yeah. Because it was done by a white and dude. This guy's name is Neil Diamond. Mm-hmm. But, he's but not, not the Neil Diamond. He's one of Canada's foremost Aboriginal filmmakers and photographers. He hails from the Cree community of Was- Waskaganish. His yeah. Nice. He has a credit included. His credits include The Last Explorer, a feature-length docudrama retracing the steps of his great uncle. Aboriginal guide George Elson on an ill-fated voyage into the heart of uncharted Labrador. Who knows what we're in for? Education. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of white people pretending to be Indians, I can tell you Okay, okay. so much. But thank you for the warning so that, you know, we're going to get triggered. If you're a sensitive white man... (laughs) As I am. <laughs> what okay. year was it? Um, 2010. Oh, okay. We're in the 20s. <laughs> well, listeners, I, I, I hope you enjoyed this one because I think it, it was an important one and um, I feel like we we scratched the surface. There's so much more to do. But um, this has been Smoke Signals, 
and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. And next week is real or E-E-L engine. Mm -hmm. Thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye. Bye.